Thorpe with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Walker Dibel. Walker, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Kevin, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. So unpack a little bit for us. Who is Walker Dibel? Sure. I know you got 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, it's it, it, my, my worst nightmare is being somewhere and someone says, so what do you do, right? Um, you know, right. Ultimately, Based on your history, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so ultimately, um, I consider myself an acquisition entrepreneur, right? Um, I own three businesses. Uh, one's in manufacturing, one's in B2B fulfillment, and one's in, online. It's in e-commerce, right? Um, I also do some uh, M&A advisory work. I help online uh, uh, entrepreneurs exit their businesses now. Okay. Um, and uh, then, of course, some other stuff. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, and and you—that's just touching on the business side of things. I mean, there's a whole different world of Walker Dival that you didn't even touch on. So, so take a little quick, quick John off the path and talk talk a little bit about the uh, anything that might be found on IMDb. Film, film production, sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm an executive producer, um, uh, mostly of feature films, both of documentaries and independent features. Uh-huh. Um, Almost every film that I've had the pleasure to work on in kind of my 2.0 version of reality, I've had the pleasure to have someone on the team with an Academy Award, right? So, so yeah, I mean, everything from, you know, working with Seth Gordon um, as a producer to Diane Wiest Mm -hmm. on uh, Five Nights in Maine, for example. Yeah. So, you know, that one, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it was a lot of fun to make. It's, um, uh, and you know, there's, there's another, there's an interview out there of me and they were, and they were talking, we they were asking me about film and whatever. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've met plenty of, you know, famous people or whatever. And all of a sudden I met Diane Weist and I just kind of started, like, I couldn't talk. I could like, I was just like kind of starstruck and, and I, and I, and I was like, what just happened? You know, like how, why did this, why was it Diane? And, and, um, another producer said to me, I found out I had the same thing with other people and I find out it's the, it's the people that are famous when you never think that you're going to be in the film industry. So Diane Weist, of course, was, you know, she was in the Lost Boys. She was sure. in Footloose. She was in Parenthood. She was in like those, these Woody Allen movies right during my teens when I was sort of like <laughs> diving at first in the film. So the yeah. formative years. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I've had films um, uh, play at Sundance, South by Southwest, um, Toronto mm-hmm. uh, in competition. And, um, Every film uh, so far, uh, Spare One has been, no, even that one we sold, has been sold for distribution. So Haven't been to Cannes yet, the, the film festival not, in France? Not yet, not yet, not yet. That's it's, next. It's on the list. I've got one, I've got one that we're, we're working on right now that I'm hoping we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But, on you the know, bucket list. Time, one day at a time. That's right. That's right. I will tell you, I mean, being in competition, having a film in competition for Best Picture uh, at Sundance, it, it's just, you feel like you've made it. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and this well, filmmaking is a team. This is not, you know, the Louis Armstrong kind of like American solo, you know, <laughs> you know, entrepreneur kind of story. Right. It's film is a team sport and, um, being a producer is a lot of fun because there's this sort of, um, attitude in film that, you know, if a, if a film really doesn't work for whatever reason, it's kind of the director's fault. And if a film does really great, it's because the producer really <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> what, a, what a great, great model. I mean, you you accept praise and you deflect blame. I mean, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But it's but it's interesting boss. because my my you know my role in film. Um, we could talk about this. There's a whole story there, but um, we could talk for an hour about it. But the the point is, is it actually is directly parallel to. Um, uh, my, my, my startup experience and my business experience and how, uh, I've sort of ended up, you know, kind of, I, 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 as far as I know, I kind of coined the term acquisition entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. It was called entrepreneurship through acquisition, um, in some, you know, uh, uh, MBA programs, some top ranked MBA programs. And, um, I'd already kind of started working. Um, on the book and the concept years before that kind of formed. Right. Um, and as you can tell, that's a very academic kind of term, <laughs> right? So, so you know, I mean, as some people, you know, you've heard of online entrepreneurs, you've heard of um, uh, real estate entrepreneurs, sure. you know, you've heard of all of these kinds of terms. And so I, I was kind of, 
you know, being someone who's both started companies and bought companies, I started differentiating in my mind. Like there's sort of like startup entrepreneurs and there's kind of acquisition entrepreneurs. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the point is to get something in film. Let me pull it around here. In film, um, you know, I've got my own ideas, okay? Mm -hmm. But trying to fund those, pull those together, you know, get the get the A team involved and get it off the ground is just as impossible as any other project mm -hmm. happening, yeah. right? So when a project starts to come together and you start to see that the right people are attached, and it, it's like, okay, well, look, there's a market for this film, regardless of whether it's good or not. Right. So what we can do is is kind of start pulling it together, raise funds around it, and get the thing put together, made, and sold, just like a startup or a business. The product is a film. It, it's interesting that, that you would tie those two words together because it's almost like um, when we think of the word startup, we think of that in terms, or we think of the word entrepreneur, we think in the terms of startup versus acquisition. It's it's almost like the oxymoron. You know, it's... it's at, you know, an acquisition yeah, entrepreneur I, is almost an oxymoron in, in, in our lot, mindset, got, you know? Yeah, so, I, got, I, got, I get a lot of pushback for sure. But otherwise, you just become like this, uh, the hostile takeover entrepreneur, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mergers but, you know, and acquisitions. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's kind of like this. I mean, think of like the best entrepreneurs we know. Like every iconoclastic entrepreneur isn't someone who just starts the business. They're yeah. also the CEO of this big publicly traded sure. firm. Right. Okay. A lot happens in between. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing is, is that as I kind of started to go through my experience and it was like, how, you know, how is this working where we've got these great teams, these great products, these raving fans, the financing, the accelerator programs, the, you know, all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And then it completely falls apart. Yeah. And this happened for me not once, but twice. Right. And, and um, I found luck along the way, just like buying these kind of old economy style businesses mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of just bringing, you know, a fresh coat of paint or, you know, trying to add value the best way that I can catch on to the current trends. And right. um, uh, I just kept finding success that way. And uh, when I went back and looked at the data, I was like, I was like, is this look, we all know startups fail, right? I mean, we just know that. But what really happens? Mm. And one of the things that really surprised me, Kevin, let me ask you before I say. Sure. How many startups make it? Over how long a period of time? Over by five years from the time they start sure. or first sure. year? I Quick, would say seventy-five, eighty percent of startups fail within the first three years. Right. Okay. So, so I mean, the the vast majority of them, right, don't don't make it. Okay. Sure. But here's what really caught me was Vern Harnish uh, wrote a book called Scaling Up, mm -hmm. and he went out and basically surveyed all of the the different sizes of companies. And what he figured out is that 96% of existing companies in the United States never exceed one million dollars in revenue. Wow. And I'm not going to say that starting a business and you know growing it to half a million dollars isn't an incredible feat. It is. The point is, is that very few of us would start a business thinking that we're gonna like, like, hey, I'm just trying to hit six hundred thousand dollars total in revenue, right? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, imagine a ten percent net income on that. You're making sixty thousand dollars. <laughs> it's a lot easier, you know, to, to go do. I just quit else. my hundred thousand dollar job. To go work for myself for cheaper. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. And and the thing is, is we go out with these like disruptive ideas and all the rest of it. And we can talk about some of this if you want, but it's like, which ones get picked up? Mm -hmm. You know, what are the, what are the best vehicles that we have to sort of engineer success into these, into these startups? And the truth is there, a lot of them just frankly don't work. I mean, they improve, yeah. they improve off of this 4%, but not significantly. <laughs> so, so, or, or, you know, I mean, sorry, sorry, the, the deep, Fall rate anyway, the, the you know, 10% or 20% sure. as you're guessing. So, so, um, uh, uh, I, so the point is, is that I started learning that, you know, startups fail. We all know it. We all think we're the exception. But when I went and started looking at the empirical evidence, I started to see pretty clearly that starting a business from scratch is kind of punishment for people that don't understand statistics. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> like there's a scene there's I'm a scene in, you on that <laughs> yeah, right, right. there's this scene in the empire strikes back where you know the 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 sorry sorry i just went star wars here but you know oh, they're right. going into the asteroid field or whatever and and you know princess leia says you're driving into an asteroid field and han's like don't tell me the odds and that moment just reminds me of myself so many times in life right <laughs> it's like i got this no no you know <laughs> I it's, love you know, that the, picture, that analogy. I yeah, mean, I mean, the, yeah, the stories we hear are just, they're very anecdotal. Um, so the point is, is the startup phase is really the company killer, okay? We're trying to raise money so that we can create or build some kind of infrastructure, okay? Right, right. That then can support itself through profitable revenue. That's all we're trying to do. And so what I've done uh, uh, seven times now is basically find the infrastructure that I'm, that I'm looking for, acquire it way more affordably than it sounds mm -hmm. and, you know, jump into an existing business in order to, to grow from there. So, so let me ask you, um, is there a, a sense that you've almost reduced the failure the front end failure percentage by acquiring something that is is almost a proven concept at some level. I mean, um, yep. I mean how many startups, you know, the guy thinks this is a great idea. I'm going to sell yeah. a million of these. He's, now he's got a garage full of a million widgets and and nobody wants to buy them because nobody else thought it was a great idea other than he Grimal. and his grandma, you know. Yeah. Product um, market fit, right? Exactly. So, I mean, you, you almost reduce the the risk of, you know, the failure on the front end. Um, by allowing it to kind of prove itself, even though it, it, it never scales. And the other thing that came to mind as you were talking was almost like the, the, the whole concept behind the e-myth that, mm -hmm. you know, there are people that are, that are designed to do specific things in that chain. And, you know, the creator may not be the one that can implement or the one that can scale or the one that can manage or the one, you know, all these different functions and startups have to, you know, you're, you almost have to be multifaceted, you know, as right. a solo startup. So you want to unpack that just a little bit? Yeah, I guess, I guess what I'd say is like this, um, you know, I mean, we all know, you know, Elon Musk was, you know, one of the co-founders of PayPal, right? Mm -hmm. He wasn't, he bought it from Peter Thiel. Do you okay. know this? I did not. Yeah. <laughs> so Elon Musk actually started a company called X.com that was doing the same thing as Peter Thiel's company, PayPal. Okay. X.com had money, but couldn't really get product market fit. PayPal got product market fit and as a result grew really fast and ran out of cash. Mm. So Musk bought PayPal, called it X.com. Okay. And then over time, whatever happened, but really the board ended up deciding that uh, Musk shouldn't be the CEO, but Peter Thiel should be. And the first thing Peter Thiel did was change the name of the company to PayPal. PayPal. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and, you know, it's also, I mean, the other thing that we all know, like for sure about Elon Musk is that he started Tesla, right? He didn't. Yeah, I knew this was coming. <laughs> it was a trap. <laughs> he didn't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing is, is, um, you know, on, on the one hand, you've got something like, you know, I'm buying PayPal because it's got product market fit. And let's rewind because today PayPal is like huge and buying PayPal sounds insane. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is whether you are simply looking for a lifestyle business, mm -hmm. you can go out and buy an existing, um, um, you know, online business that you can you can run as a digital nomad. Um, and you can get funds for that very, very easily. And the cash flow of the business will pay for the capital that you get to buy the company, if that makes sense. Right. Um, it, you know, and the thing is, is you can buy these companies that are, to your point, have that product market fit, and you can grow them from there, okay? Um, in terms of what you were talking about with the e-myth, the e-myth, as you've highlighted, is kind of this concept of, boy, I really like, uh, y you know, making pies. And all my friends tell me I, I should build a pie business. Isn't that the example? And, that, yeah. And, so, yeah. And, and so she starts a pie business. And then the whole point is, is making a good pie has nothing to do with the pie business. There's a production line, there's right. sales, it's marketing. I got to pay rent. I have employees, there's payroll there, you know, and all these other things. And, um, and, and the reason she got into the business was totally different than what ended up happening. 
right? And, and learning how to manage that business. So, you know, in, in terms of both of those things, I'd say that, um, you know, Elon Musk buying Tesla is a perfect example of him understanding, you know, his aptitude and his skill sets and knowing what he can bring to the equation. And of course, he happened to have the capital to do something like that. Um, he actually got sued by one of the co-founders because he started claiming that he was a co-founder of the company. In my opinion, he is, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but the truth is, is if we rewind all the way back, he's actually an acquisition entrepreneur more times than not, right? Yeah, and it's, that's that would be hard to define. I mean, when you talk about a co-founder, I mean, it it could be viewed in stages. I mean, you know, we could go back to Apple. I mean, the two guys hanging out in the garage, you know, trying to create a, a, a individual computer versus the one that actually started Apple. You know, the, the, right. the company itself was a was a completely different stage or phase of, out of that garage. But let me let me go back to a point you just made earlier about um, finding funding. Sure. So if if we've got listeners out there that that would like to. Uh, you know, that really like this concept of maybe acquiring an, an online business that is already that's already yeah. up and running. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it looks like it has the potential to scale and, and maybe the person running that business, you know, has doesn't have the aptitude or no longer can function in that or for some reason just hasn't gotten it to that level. You said Absolutely. funding is available, but where exactly is that? I mean, you don't go down to your bank per se. I mean, are there are there kind of micro VCs out there? Are there micro nope. angel investors? I mean, nope. It's where does the literally money come from? yeah, it's literally bankable, and that's the difference between a startup where you're trying to raise money or put money into something that has no value, mm -hmm. and then you're trying to create the value or create that infrastructure from scratch, right? Right. These things are literally bankable, and there's a big change with the Small Business Administration, the SBA, mm -hmm. uh, January 1st of 2018. And one of the things that they're doing is they're now providing 10% down cash flow loans. Meaning, hmm. meaning, um, you know, the first business I bought, there had to be a certain amount of assets in the business. Right. Uh, the first business I bought was actually a book printing company that I bought the same week that the Amazon Kindle came out. I mean, it was like, <laughs> it's a great story. Let's talk about that. But the, but the but the thing the point is it required, you know, these big assets. And so I ended up buying a manufacturing company because it had the assets that I needed in order to get the bankable, right? But the truth is is have you ever tried to sell a computer that's like 3 years old? Yeah. What'd you get for it? Nothing. <laughs> Zero, right? right? And Second. yet you have all of these like, you know, um, you know, company, you know, computers, just to, as an example, sitting on the balance sheet as an asset with value. They've got yep. no value. Sure. They have no value. These big presses were, you know, the size of, of small homes. Right. And made of iron. And there was special concrete under the floor to hold them up and all the rest of it. And the bank said, OK, this asset is worth, you know, so many dollars. So we'll go ahead and, and give you, uh, you know, that'll serve as collateral for this loan. If they knew anything about the printing industry, you would actually have to disassemble the presses and sell it off as raw parts because there was two and a half printing presses Scrap for every printing job. I mean, it was like <laughs> those things were worthless. So the SBA has kind of caught on, right? And there's a couple of trends going on here. Number one, baby boomers own more companies than any other generation mm -hmm. ever in history, yep. okay? And they're starting to retire at like 10,000 a day. So it's absolutely wow. insane, okay? It's it's there's estimated to be 10 trillion dollars in business value that needs to change hands. So the SBA says we're going to help this, these people exit and we're going to help the new generation get in and the way we're going to do it is we're going to supply um, loans to these acquisition entrepreneurs with a very affordable rate because we believe in the infrastructure of these companies, okay? Let's come back to your failure rate for a minute. 1.5% of SBA loans, okay, on businesses mm -hmm. uh, reach default rate. That's okay? incredible. So, th so that's what, 98.5%. That's incredible. Let's just say wow. don't fail. I, I don't have numbers on the success, yeah. okay, but, but they don't fail. That's like exactly opposite of not only am I going to make it as a startup, but then I'm going to reach significant size and scale above a million dollars in revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, you can go to the bank and sorry. So now the SBA says, not only are we going to help empower these entrepreneurs to buy these companies and help these baby boomers exit, 
but we're also going to recognize that you know the, the infrastructure as we used to measure it is no longer valid and i can have a little cash machine you know selling upflush toilets online where you know where you know a, th- a 3pl is dropping you know this this uh, this product out and you know someone's working the 4 hour work week generating cash flow yep you, you with me sure no assets at all um, you know a, a, a macbook pro maybe so <laughs> How are they valuing? I mean, maybe I, I think that they're, you know, bank loan officers are Luddites or something. Maybe I don't think they're, uh-huh. they're in the 21st century. I mean, yep. are they are they making that? Are banks making the transition to say, you know what, we can value these online companies versus the brick and mortar versus the, yeah. I mean, are they so, making that transition? Yeah. So the advisors will, will value it. So, they're, you know, like any marketplace, there's a supply and a demand, mm-hmm. right? So the thing is, is I recently wrote the book, Buy Then Build, How Acquisition Entrepreneurs Outsmart the Startup Game. This is all about how you buy a business, right? Um, and the thing is, is I've also started, it just sort of dovetailed into this opportunity where, you know, uh, earlier this summer, I started helping online entrepreneurs exit their companies. And the point is, or the point is here is that whoever has the supply of businesses to sell will meet demand, Okay. So in other words, I can go help buyers, but as you read in my book, I don't really believe that buyers should be paying advisors like me. It's it's just a little bit backwards. Like so, in other words, helping people exit also helps the buyers. Sure. You with me? Yeah, absolutely. So I work both sides. So as an advisor, I help the online entrepreneurs understand the private markets, mm-hmm. and I help them understand what their business will sell for. Okay. There's a lot of components that go into it, okay? Right. And I'm not gonna keep this just to online businesses. I'm also gonna talk about you know, the hardcore old economy infrastructure right. that's out there. Right. If you're buying a business you know, between, you know, let's pick a number, like you know, 750,000 in revenue and you know, 5 million in revenue, the odds of that transacting for a multiple of you know, two to four times um, uh, the, the the, you know, the adjusted EBITDA number, like, the, mm-hmm. you know, let's just say the the, the tinkered with earnings. Let's right. just call it that for this conversation, right? You know, you find out what the, what the total cash flow benefit to the owner is, and then you multiply that by a, you know, two, two and a half to, you know, four, maybe on the high end five, you know, year re- return for that buyer. Because these buyers want a 30% return on their capital. Okay. Yeah. So said another way, Said another way, you can go buy a business, okay, that's generating, let's just say, a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars in earnings. Let's say it's a million in revenue, generating a hundred thousand for the owner. I'm totally making these numbers up. Sure. We're gonna go buy it for, you know, three uh, x, so three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and I'm gonna go get an SBA loan to do it, and I'm only gonna put ten percent down, okay? So I'm gonna put thirty thousand dollars down to buy the business. Wow. That's insane. Yeah. Now, now you're going to have working capital and you know inventory and maybe there's a building. But the point is, is if you compare that to, hey, I'm going to go take thirty thousand dollars and put it in a startup. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've personally lost thirty thousand dollars trying to start you know an online company myself. And right. you know, I mean, that's just an, another example. Okay. Um, the point is that that. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I just want to say one thing. I think people are going to misunderstand something that I say, and I want to be very clear because I almost didn't write the book because of this. People are going to hear what I just said and say, oh, Walker's telling me I should go out and put 10% down on this business and go buy it. Okay. If you take 90% leverage on a business acquisition, you need to understand the risk that you're taking, right? I mean, I mean, you have to put a personal guarantee down on SBA loans. I mean, you are risking bankruptcy. Right. The odds are in your favor, and hopefully you fit the right profile of someone who can take that business to the next level, but there's very real risk, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. And just as the investors of your startup get the upside to your labor, you will get the upside to your labor. I'm only saying that it is available and that you can do that. And, and you know, if you're going to do it, be careful, be smart, but it's an option and the government is offering it. Let me ask you a question about another thing that's I think is unique kind of to the startup world online mm. is mm. so many of these of these um, I guess service providers that are online 
it's based on a personality. It's based on the individual themselves. How do you how do you kind of make that determination when you're looking at a company to buy? That's how do you divide out the value of the company of you know with that person involved and with that person removed from the company? So um, the you know, seller or the buyer? The, if if you're let's say I I have a company that I've started yep. online and and I'm you know I've, I've kind of scaled it to a certain point, but I want to sell it. How do you determine how much of that value of that company is based on me being involved in the company versus the company itself? Because that that would be, a, I think, especially with with the you know products and services online, is so personality driven. You know, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. how do you make that determination? Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have a business that is based around your personality, mm-hmm. um, that yeah, you're you're just not you're gonna it's gonna be a pretty low multiple right. if you can exit at all. Sure. I mean, I mean, it, you know, it, it, rising tide is rising tide, right? It's not you, Kevin, right. as the exactly. it's not your you know identity. So you know, um, there's a method just, to that madness. <laughs> What's that? There's a method to that madness. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Anyone listening? Everything yes, I right. have to fail. Yeah, right. Three yeah. times. <laughs> um, so the point is that that sorry. So how do we how do we evaluate the seller's role in a business? Okay, um, here's what I'm going to tell you. I number one. You know, let's start with the end in mind for a minute. I think it's the best way to answer this question. So if you've never bought a business, it feels mysterious. It, when I first went out, I, it, I what I found was it was an opaque fragmented industry with no you know best practices whatsoever the skill set of you know in the backgrounds of the brokers and advisors was enormous right. you know you've got everything from you know a main street business broker trying to sell you know a rundown bar to you know an investment banker and everything in between sure. i mean it's just you know it's it's really fragmented and tough to navigate once you do it and once you start figuring it out, you realize that by the time you're done with due diligence, you know that business yeah, that's true. better than anyone else ever, except maybe the owner. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the thing is, is that, you know, everyone gets worried about like, well, what does the owner know that I don't know? Okay. And, and you should, you should be asking yourself that question. But what I want to say is, is that I don't care what business you're in. There is a business problem right around the corner. And you're going to have it as the CEO of whatever company you have. Okay. And, you know, if the seller is tight lipped about a certain trend or a certain something like that, I mean, that's your job is to figure that out. Right. But you're going to have such a degree of confidence if you treat due diligence the right way. Let's 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 rewind all the way to the beginning, though. Um, You know, so the point is, is, you know, once you get through due diligence and truly understand the business, you will get comfortable. But you're talking about is what you're asking is maybe even before that, which is, you know, how do we decide what the owner is doing? Um, frankly, ask them. I was, uh, I'm not, I'm really not buying right now. Okay. I've got three companies I'm, I'm, I'm advising. I just wrote this book. I mean, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. However, there was a, there was a company I was looking at, um, last week, obviously it's gotta be remain confidential, but you know, one of my questions to the owner is, okay, how many hours are you working and what exactly are you doing? Right. And just by working through, you know, what she was responsible for, I sort of figured out what would be walking out the door with that seller. And I thought to myself, okay, as much as I would like this to be an opportunity for me, it's not right now because the, the skill set that's going to walk with her, I don't currently have at the business that I would try to, you know, grow, merge it with. Right. That's a great question. So it was a whole different problem. Yeah. So. I want to encourage our listeners to watch this on YouTube because when he talked about, he talked about, well, I'm not buying right now, but if I was, <laughs> his eyes lit up, he got that, that little gleam in his eye that said, if I were, this would certainly well, be a candle. Kevin, so, yeah. yeah, and I'm going to tell that. you, like, that's the other thing is like growing through acquisition is a whole nother topic, right? Oh, sure. And the thing is, is, is that, you know, um, I learned this actually in the printing industry. Okay. So we were, you know, we were at a point where, um, you know, the mature industry that we were in started to decline with electronic alternatives and such. And we can talk about, you know, whatever, um, in that, in that period. But one of the things that had worked for, had, had one of the strategies for prior ownership and, and in the business, in the industry was to try to hire 
salespeople with existing books of business, right? Mm-hmm. And sort right. of hire them, steal them away and then bring your accounts over, okay? Yeah. I learned pretty quickly that this does not work at all. It doesn't work at all. And so I started looking at, for data to support you know, my hunch. And what I found was it was like 98% of customers stick with the business, not the salesperson. Right. Yeah. And, and and then, you know, you look into like sales training and you get all these other stats, like 70 to 80 percent of of customers believe that their salesperson really doesn't even know what's going on in their business. Right. So so they help bring them to the table, but they're actually not as important as they genuinely as they typically think that they are, like based on statistics right. and numbers. OK. Sure. Now, now, if you buy the business and all the salespeople leave, you're actually better off. OK. If you really think about it. Right. Yep. But if you can buy that business and retain the salespeople in this type of equation, you're retaining all of that value, mm-hmm. right? And so being able to buy it on a you know two to four year return, you know that with 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 some debt and with you know um, a thirty percent you know return on your investment all the way through, I mean it's it's really hard to argue about it. Yeah. So my eyes if my eyes lit up, <laughs> it's because I'm I'm always looking for the growth opportunity. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, I also, you know, as you look at, at companies that have gone through, you know, acquisition that, you know, a lot of times the the staff is not retained in the acquisition okay. and it makes uh-huh. perfect sense. I mean, when you outline this, because it is a, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a mathematical equation. What are the statistics? What are, let's look at the analytics and the metrics and say, if 100% of the staff is gone and we replace it with, you know, a cheaper, younger you know, staff and we can retain 75%, we're better off with the new staff than we were with the old staff. I mean, just it just makes perfect business sense when you look at those types of, of decisions. Yeah. So yeah, I just want to talk to that for just a minute because um, I don't do that personally. Uh-huh. Um, uh, every single business I've ever bought, I've retained 100% hmm. of the employees. And um, every single time I've sold a business, uh, retaining 100% of my employees has always been a requirement and one thing that I will not exit without. So just to be perfectly clear. Um, the other thing is, as an advisor, I tend to work with companies between a million and 25 million in revenue. Uh-huh. And at that level, on in the online world, right. there's not a lot There's not a lot of employees. Yeah. And so if, if, if I started to go bigger... The, the the core problem I have with it is that people start to lose their jobs. Mm. And I don't like that. I don't want to help people lose their jobs. I want to help entrepreneurs exit. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't it's, mean to go all channel my inner Gordon no, Gecko no, there. No, no, but you, I, no. But it's, yeah. an important, it's an important perception, yeah. right? And yeah, I mean, if you if you merge two companies together and, you know, there's two accountants or whatever, you only need one, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'm not only from the, from the standpoint of just touching on that, but... I mean, I just appreciate the character behind that, you know, that 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 because obviously that's a personal ethos, you know, that you've yeah. developed over time. You say this is this is important to me. This is this is character. This is what is determining uh, this. What makes me a, a trusted partner? And, yeah. You know, in, and, in and, making these. and I will say it's one of these things where, you know, the first business I sold, um, it was to an acquisition target. I was trying to grow. And I wanted what they had and they sort of started to realize that we fit together so well. And then they said, I want to do it, but I want to buy your company. And I was like, okay, um, you know, first question, I need you to retain all the people. No problem. Okay, fine. Cause I, you know, the private markets have appropriate valuations for companies. Sure. I mean, you know, the valuation is the valuation and there's a little bit of range, but you know, in, in other words, sorry, in other words, if you are a budding acquisition entrepreneur and you want to go out and buy a business, one of the things that I always listen for is what's important to the seller. Mm-hmm. Because if you can identify the qualitative things and if you can be, you know, when you go in and you're basically interviewing to be the CEO for yep. their company, which is their baby, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to kind of nail that interview, so to speak. And then you've got to really listen to what it is that, that is important to them. And I think a lot of times those qualitative things are the things that went out. It may be retaining the name of the company. I mean, it may be something right. that exactly, I mean, just uh, the owner wants a legacy, you know, that that's right. I want to, I want to bench out front with my name on it, you know, that type of thing. That's right. I, just listening to those little nuances during the, the interview. So 
you you mentioned a couple times a, a book, so you want to you want to touch on that? You've got a book coming out that sure that, uh, is is launched. I mean, this month, right? Yeah, it came out um, what two three weeks ago. It's mm-hmm. called Buy Then Build. Um, so what's cool is being a former book uh, manufacturer, I happen to know that you know ninety percent of books never exceed a thousand copies sold. I was lucky enough to sell a thousand copies in six days, which was wow. just so thrilling. And I got to tell you, Kevin. I wrote this book almost entirely in the middle of the night, okay? <laughs> I wrote it between like 2.30 in the morning and uh, 7 in the morning over the course of about three and a half years. And uh, my wife was, you know, supportive enough to let me, we've got three small children, she, you know, she let me write it on Saturday mornings as well. So th- this book, it was like a labor of love, but more, more importantly, I'm talking like the middle of winter, the middle of the night, dark out, just like thinking through my ideas and trying to get them down on paper and trying to get the data and experiences of other people to sort of support. And so when the book came out, I was like, am I crazy? Like (laughs) no one's written this book. Like it's sort of like if you believe in efficient markets, like someone would have written this book, you know what I mean? And um, uh, so I I can't explain to you, you know, one of your pre-interview questions is what's the top of the mountain? I just... The response has just been so flattering. I, I never could have imagined. And I feel like people are kind of coming out of the woodwork. And um, uh, there's there's something to build here that's pretty cool. Is it a is it unique? I mean, I look back at your history and, you know, the, you know, releasing films versus releasing a book. What's mm-hmm. unique about releasing a book compared to, you know, producing a film or or even acting? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I even told you it's, it's basically a film is like, um, uh, it's a team sport. It's a team sport. It, I mean, it, you even, I mean, I, like I can't be humble enough. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I say, you know, in comparison, I do nothing, you know, I mean, I, I think that a, a lot of people on the team would say that, um, at the same time, there are some people that, um, you know, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the main producer and the director, especially, I mean, it's just, they, they bleed and sweat these films, right? I'm much more on the business side. Right. Um, uh, I don't mean to be. That's just where my skill set is. <laughs> if you put me in a room of, you know, private ec- equity people, I'm like artsy. If you put me in a room of, you know, uh, filmmakers, I'm too businessy. You know, I'm sort of like, in the, I'm somewhere in the middle, I guess. Put me in the room of entrepreneurs and I'm the acquisition guy, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, so, you know, it's one of these... Um, where this book, I'm telling you, man, like no, no one read it before it came out. And I, I was terrified. It was it was really, really a strange thing. And uh, yeah. But it was yeah. built based on life experience. It was based on, I mean, you were obviously a practitioner. Yeah. You're not just picking things. You're not, you're not, it's not just academia. You're not just picking things out of the ether. Right. And, no, and no. I mean, in your own words. Yeah. Let, let me give you a little bit of my story. You know, so basically, um, you know, I like I was an English lit and religious studies major, okay, that then got a job as a stockbroker right out of college, okay? And right, yeah, good And mix. your dad but, kept um, going, I'm yeah, sorry, it, what are you gonna do yeah. with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could go that way. The point is I I ended up coming back and getting my MBA at WashU in right. St. Louis. And um during that time I was like, I am starting a business. I am using this um, protection of school, right. To, to, to sort of be like, I'm, I'm going to take this two years and start a business, which we did. Uh, me and, uh, three other guys started this company. We had this licensed technology out of, you know, California. We licensed it for a, a point of purchase advertising and it was amazing. And we were talking to Walmart and they were on the hook and they wanted to roll it out. And, you know, we were working through operations. There was hardware, you know, there's a hardware, there's a software. It was, it was big and we were raising capital and we were in the business plan competition. And then uh, the month that I graduated, the whole thing got, uh, let's just say, hung up in legal and the whole business fell apart mm-hmm. before we were able to sell the product and before we were able to close on the capital raise. Wow. And so here I am graduating, probably the only person in the class without a job, right? <laughs> and, I, and that's when it hit me. I was like, okay, you know, these M- MBA programs are truly built to, uh, you know, feed the demand of, you know, middle market 
uh, sorry, uh, um, uh, middle management right, at large exactly. organizations. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And here I am like, gosh, uh, maybe I should have thought about that better, but I really don't want to do that. Like, like I can be a good general. I can operate like that. Here we go. And I did it for a little bit, but I was trying to, I was like, I'm an entrepreneur, but I don't have an idea. Like my idea was back there. It just crashed and now I'm unemployed. Right. So <laughs> what do I do? And so I was like, I know you can buy a business. How do you do this? And I sort of failed at it. Okay. For the reasons we talked about. And, um, so I went corporate and then I ended up buying this book printing company. Okay. And then I sold it to an acquisition target and then I, um, did a startup and similar to what we talked about. We recruited a guy from Microsoft to be our CEO. We oversubscribed the capital raise. We went through one of the top 10 accelerator programs in the world. We had betas at all these different, you know, large organizations. And eight months later we were completely out of cash, right? I mean, this was like not going to fail and it totally failed. Okay. <laughs> and, and, um, and so then one of the brokers that I worked with to try to acquire and ultimately sell a business that I had called and said, Hey Walker, how's that startup going? And I was like, Gary, it's a little rocky. And he said, good, because I got a business. It's a perfect fit. You've got to come see it. Right. And so I ended up buying this company and then I bought another company to, to grow with it. And then I looked at my management team and I ended up buying this other company. And then, and then I bought this e-commerce company and then I started a business that failed, you know, you know, and then <laughs> and it was, and then people started coming to me and saying, how are you doing what you're doing? Like how, like, what is this? Or like, how do I do that? And so I started to realize, okay, there is kind of a best practice or an operating right. procedure that I'm doing here. Let me just force myself to write it down, right? And then I looked at how do I support this in economics? How do I support this as an investment vehicle? How do I support this as an entrepreneurship path just based on empirical evidence? Because, you know, all I have is my own experience yeah. and some, some people immediately around me, right? So it was, it was gaining traction, but I was just trying to figure out what's the model that I'm using. That's by the build. Yeah. I mean, you you talk about it's you know, kind of a narrow focus. It was my own experience, but your experience is broad. I mean, just you know, I mean, how many different industries have you been in? How many companies yeah. have you looked at that you haven't purchased, but yet oh, hundreds. You know, have, yeah. have certainly built that that kind of internal library that you right. You know, you're right. developing. So, well, and let, let me share with you. So, so I'm so I'm an advisor with um, Quiet Light Brokerage. Uh -huh. Okay, and Quiet Light, uh, what what quite light does is they hire only entrepreneurs first, right? So there's no, you know, there's no, there's no junior employees, you know, run, you know, running spreadsheet spreadsheets in the back or anything like that. Right. So it's all of us. Right. And, um, we're all entrepreneurs first and then we sort of get into deal making later. And, um, why did I bring this up? Because I became a raving fan of quiet light 10 years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm telling you, regardless of the industry, the niche, anything, I just, I loved their properties. I loved their their business summaries. I mean, it's just, they're so thorough. They think like buyers and everything was so good. And I did buy a, a business from, through the founder there um, a few years back. And um, I ended up coming on board. And the point is, is now I'm in a position where I'm talking to these entrepreneurs and I'm looking at their properties and I'm learning about them and I'm putting together these like 24 page business summaries in depth. And I'm like, sure. Walker, don't get hooked on your own stash. I mean, this is like, <laughs> I, I love like that analogy. Flow. And it's like, oh, I just want to buy all of these companies. They're so good. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I you're gonna you you just dated yourself. You're gonna go back to a Cheech and Chong movie reference or something like that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, the Quiet Light brokerage is that a that that's a business brokerage versus? I mean, is that all they do yep. is buy and sell businesses? Uh, no, we actually really we help we we help uh, uh, sell uh, profitable online companies, right? Okay. And, you know, let's be clear, this is not my company. Mark Douse founded the company, what, 11 years ago or something like that. And, um, but he's done it great. He's like, he just says, look, I hire entrepreneurs. You guys know what you're doing. Here's our standard operating procedures. Here's our values. You know, here's how we operate. And, um, you know, he's like, I, I'm no good at managing people. I never can. You guys manage yourselves. It's great. So there's no employees. We're all independent contractors. 
And um, it's, it's just, uh, what does he call it? He calls it an alumni group for successful entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's perfect. So I'm not an alumni though. I still have three companies going and, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I try to, I try to take a, you know, fewer, uh, fewer listings than I think I could, but well, I, I, would, yeah. I would, I would, I could, I could literally talk to you all day long about these things. And, and I sure. know that I've, I'm, I've taken quite a bit of your time tonight and I, I'd appreciate the, the time you dedicated to this, but so can you wrap up a little bit for us? Just okay. if, if, uh, if we have listeners online that are, that are kind of looking at the, idea of, you know, I want to, I want to acquire something versus starting something from scratch. What are, uh -huh. what are two or three just basic steps and not the million dollar valuation or $5 million valuation, but something sure. that's just a, you know, a solo person out there that just says, Hey, I really want to acquire something. Yep. What, what are some things that they really need to, to look at and, and consider if there's a three yep. to five step process type thing? Yep. Yep. So let's start with this. 90% of people that start looking for a business to acquire never close on a deal. Hmm, okay. Wow. Um, I was talking with uh, these two ladies who were, who were looking for a business to buy. You know, they, they sort of had the golden handcuffs on. They were, you know, middle management at a large organization with great packages. And, and you know, they were asking these questions and I was kind of taking them through sort of my funnel that's right in my book. The book hadn't come out. And I was going through the funnel and I'm asking them these questions and we got to this point and they sort of looked at each other and they were like, we should have bought that company that we just, you know, that we passed on that somebody else bought. And the thing is, is they didn't know what they were looking for. Mm. Right. And I think that so many people start the process, Kevin, saying, I don't know, we'll just kind of see what's out there, sure, you know, sure. or whatever, almost like dating at a young age or something, you know, you know, it's like, I don't know, whatever, you know, so, <laughs> I'm eighth grade. I'm not getting married yeah. for a while. <laughs> right. True. And then they, and then they walk in almost as if the seller is supposed to like pitch them on like why they should buy their business. It, that's completely the wrong way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what you want to do is you want to identify what your aptitude is and what your skill set is. And you want to think about how you want to be spending your time and you want to take those things and apply them to a growth opportunity. Forget the industry, forget the size, forget all of all of the rest of it. Only think about what is the growth opportunity that I can push? Is it, you know, bringing, you know, online, um, you know, online advantages to an old economy of business? Is it, I know how to manage sale, a sales force, so I'm looking for a company with tight operations who's falling on sales. Whatever it is, identify the growth opportunity and everything else will fall into place, okay? Number two, get upstream, okay? There's a lot of websites out there and I don't know how to say it. It's sort of like monster.com or career builder or something like this. Somehow there's all the jobs in the world are on these websites. Every time I've been unemployed, which has been a lot, I've never gotten a job from sure. one of these websites. And moreover, I don't know one person <laughs> exactly. who's ever got a job from the. So the point is, is the online uh, 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 marketplaces mm -hmm. sort of settle down to, you know, the kind of the bottom of the market. Mm -hmm. OK, mm -hmm. get upstream. Look for the brokers in your geographic area. Look for the M&A advisors in your area. Think about your growth opportunity. Think about the limiters, the things you won't do, and go in and have these conversations with them. That's going to be the thing that that you know separates the wheat from the chaff. The third is probably just start start you know start networking with bankers. Frankly, look for the ones that that can make SBA loans internally, um, or uh, go out and and start talking to uh, uh, search funds. Search funds are you know largely alumni groups that will, you know, circle around a specific entrepreneur and base and essentially fund an acquisition for that entrepreneur, giving them, eh, I'll pick a number, 25% equity in the business that sure, they'll be sure. running. Right. Kind of yeah. like a startup, right. Right? right? Just like a startup model. But like I, a would, VC I model. would be more apt to, to jump on something that is a proven concept than something that's you know, completely you know, absolutely. unknown for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is a great way to wrap up our, our yeah. chat tonight. I, I am so grateful for you taking the time to just kind of unpack and it's just been a, it's been a great ride for the last, yeah. you know, 40 minutes or so. And, and I, I just love, I mean, we, we haven't even scratched the surface, you know, on, we haven't. on you. So we're going to have to schedule a follow-up sometime 
in 2019. Kevin, so. Yeah, but before we go off, can I can I just share? I've got Absolutely. this one idea that's kind of. I feel like right now we're kind of in this confluence, right? So. Taylor Pearson wrote this book, The End of Jobs. And if you're familiar with this book, what he did was he went through and basically just looked at the data in terms of here's how many people are entering the workforce mm -hmm. and here's how many jobs, new jobs are available, okay? And he sort of looks at you know the theory of constraints in the economy and he concludes, I believe rightly so, that entrepreneurship is the next economy, okay? Mm -hmm. And the skill sets that make entrepreneurs are the, are the skill sets that are gonna separate the wheat from the chaff in the next cycle of the economy, okay? Simultaneously, we have not engineered a better way to start until the buy then build model, okay? Because you're statistically gonna succeed almost the, the, the antithesis right. of you know, the failure rate of a startup. Right. So looking at the buy then build model, right at a time where entrepreneurship skill sets are gonna be driving the economy, form a really nice uh, uh, marriage together. Mm. Then you throw on top of it the fact that $10 trillion in business assets from retiring baby boomers is coming online. It's a tremendous opportunity and perhaps the opportunity of our lifetime. It's the perfect storm. It's, it really but like, is the... whatever the opposite is, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> what yeah. is the opposite of the perfect storm? I don't know. It's a it's a Kairos mm -hmm. moment. It's uh is it it's one of those yeah. times where you just all the planets align type things. So. Right, right. It's it's one of these things where you know again one of your pre-interview questions is you know think of a quote right or should I ask you to ask me this should I wait for you to ask me this question no, you know wait, is, it, wait, is there a quote that you know is and and, and you know I mean th throughout my life there there is one that has stuck with me longer than this one but this one struck me about a year ago and has really struck with me it's the first quote in the book. It comes from Victor Hugo, and it's something along the lines of, um, no army can withstand the strength of an idea whose time has come. And I just feel like we're on the precipice of this enormous opportunity. And it's very exciting to be an entrepreneur today. Well, you've sold me. I mean, yes. <laughs> Not that not that I was I was, I had I was the anti-acquisition as we, when right, we started, right. but mm -hmm. you know the whole idea behind rising tide startups. I mean, I do think, like I said at the very beginning, I think we we tend to think from you know starting from zero mm -hmm. um, as a startup. But but if you can mitigate the risk, if you can um, you know jump on a proven concept through acquisition, to me that that's a that's the the path of least resistance. And really, like you said, it's the inverse of, of this, you know, this high failure rate of startups. If you can, you can find something that's, that's already rolling and you're really just scaling it. You're stepping into it with your skill set and your passions, you know, that are a good fit with this opportunity. So, mm -hmm. and I really appreciate you, you kind of really drilling down and unpacking that for us. And, and I'm serious. I would love to uh, have you on again, early 2019 and, Let's do it. Just unleash Man. you again, and and uh, maybe we gotta have a part two, or we'll do a webinar on acquisitions or something. We can. Let's we do can, it. We can do Man. something here. So, Walker, thank you so much for your time tonight, and and I just really appreciate you speaking into our our listeners and just really playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Thanks again Thanks for Kevin. joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin.